Support for today's show comes from bookmaker.eu. With over 30 years of experience, bookmaker.eu is your online bookmaker for all your World Cup betting needs, both professional and recreational. They offer a wide selection of betting options on the World Cup, including live betting, which allows you to wager on the game uninterrupted from startup until the final whistle. Plus, you can access your betting account anytime, anywhere, from your desktop, tablet, or smartphone. No download necessary. Visit bookmaker.eu slash FC today to join and claim your cash welcome bonus of up to $1,000. That's bookmaker.eu slash FC to join and claim your cash welcome bonus of up to $1,000. U.S. bettors are accepted. Before we get started with the Ringer FC today, I'd like to clue you in on some exciting stuff happening on the ringer.com. First of all, our extensive World Cup coverage, the coat heroes of the group stage that the staff did. Miles Surrey has been updating a post about the own goals of the World Cup. Rob Schaefer wrote something about the tears that we've seen in the World Cup, including Neymar. And of course, Ringer FC co-host Ryan O'Hanlon, who wrote about the decline of German football in the wake of their exit from the World Cup. Also on the Ringer Podcast Network, be sure to tune into the Ringer NBA show broadcasting on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Catch up on the latest on the Kawhi Leonard chase. And with that, let's get into the show. Welcome to Ringer FC, World Cup edition, last day of the group stage. As it stands, group stage is over. On to the knockout round. Today, we saw our first ever usage of the fair play tiebreaker rule, but not to separate England and Belgium, which is what everybody predicted. Instead, it was to send Japan into the round of 16 at the expense of Senegal. We'll talk a lot about that. We'll also get into the matchups for the round of 16, which start on Saturday. So let me bring in my co-host, and I'm going to quote the education of Sonny Carson here. Micah, it's just me and you, motherfucker. Just me and you. Wow. Yes, I am here. And uh, my, thank are you, you sad, all for Micah? doing What? That I'm here with just, just you? or No, you should be very happy. <laughs> are, you, are you sad because the group stage is over? We've been waking up every day with an orgy of games, and, and now... You know, the games are going to get spread out a little bit and we don't have like all the group stage permutations and the as it stands stuff and finishing first, second, etc. It's just knockouts from here on. Yeah, I mean, like I'm thrilled not to have to wake up to watch games anymore, but also like, you know, I'm also bummed that there won't be three or four games every day. You actually will have to wake up because some of the games I think will be still early on your side. Yeah, you know what true. I'm not. You know what I'm not going to miss, Micah? What? What are you not going to miss? <laughs> What I call bracket turbation. Bra- wow, I can't wait to. Uh, you know what? Let's unpack that. Let's let's this define is bra- that for the people. And and we saw it in play today. But this is what bracket turbation is. People asking which side of the draw is more favorable. This side is more lopsided than that side. What team should we avoid? What are the odds of advancing to the quarters? I said, Fuck all that. How about if you want to win the World Cup, you're going to have to beat good teams. There's no favorable side of the draw. Every knockout game is its own entity. So you don't know out of out of Japan or Colombia which team that you would rather play against. We'll get into that matchup, well, those matchups. <laughs> but you know, look, James might not play. That, that's a very good point. I mean, like and, he was and, nursing a calf strain, going well, a calf injury, calf strain. I'm not entirely sure what it is. Tightness in his calf going yeah. into the World Cup, and yeah. which means that he played that game against Poland on one leg. Which amazing, <laughs> amazing. But two of the three games he was subbed out in the first half. So. Yeah, it's true. 
I, anyway, the the bottom line is is like every knockout match is its own entity, like I said, and and basically all of these odds and which side you want to be on are, are it's basically based on these preordained narratives coming into the World Cup, which don't really matter once you get into the World Cup. It's about who's playing the best right now. Am I wrong or am I right? I mean, like you're not wrong, but also we were kind of talking a little bit about this is that uh, after say. Um, Argentina's win over Nigeria, you could, there was a plausible, I mean, like, there was a plausible argument to be made about whether or not you'd see a completely different Argentina team in the knockout stages. Uh, This is true. Also, I mean, but we made the same argument about uh, Germany after that late winner, the late cruise winner against Sweden, about how they might be able to, you know, galvanize a different, how they would be a different team in the next game, and then they got sent out against South Korea, held scoreless. What, what, what does fancy Stanzo Hanlon always say? Soccer's unpredictable. So <laughs> anyway, let's move on to the main talking point of today, which mm-hmm. is the fair play tie-breaking rule, which we saw put into effect for the first time in the first set of matches. Of course, it's Group H. Uh, Colombia beat Senegal 1-0, and Japan, despite losing to Poland 1-0, advanced because they had fewer yellow cards than Senegal. Two fewer, I believe it was 6-4. to four. Very cruel end to Senegal's World Cup. Uh, no African side made it to the round of 16. Except for France. I'm kidding. <laughs> Except uh. for France. <laughs> Micah, is this, is this as unjust as it seems to be on paper that one team is advancing just because they've committed fewer yellow cards? Or I think that fewer yellow cards? what it should have been is that like they should have just gave Japan two yellow cards for being less fun than Senegal. That's my opinion about the whole thing. Well, no, a lot but- of people on Twitter, people were really mad at Japan because uh, to set the scene here, towards the end of the match, Colombia was up 1-0 and Poland was up 1-0 on Japan. With that scoreline, Colombia and Japan were both advancing. Japan, knowing the scoreline, basically for the last 10 to 15 minutes of their match against Poland, I mean, Opta released a map, of a touch map, <laughs> of the last 10 minutes of, of the game. And basically, they didn't even barely cross the center line. So they were basically just, I mean, it's ironic in a way that they're advancing because of fair play. And that's probably the opposite of sportsmanship where they're just trying to kill the game. Of course, Senegal, if they had equalized in the last 10 minutes against Colombia, they would have gone through and they didn't. Yeah. I mean, like that both of those teams were playing very cagey defensive soccer uh, because uh, Ryan O'Stats O'Hanlon or whatever you call him. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think the nickname changes fairly often. Uh, the XG map for Senegal and Colombia was, I mean, abysmal. They both had, okay, so it was 0.2 to 0.3 expected goals. Um, I mean, like it was going, going worse in the, than France, Denmark. Going in, Colombia and Senegal knew that if they drew they would both be going through. Is that correct? I think that's correct, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so Colombia kind of spoiled that plan by this Yeri Mina header. Very excellent header off a set piece. Um, is he having, oh no, actually I was going to ask, is he having the best World Cup out of all the Barcelona players? But I forgot that Coutinho is also a Barcelona player. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so the Mina header, which was in the 74th minute, so fairly late, that changed everything. And then, you know, slowly we all kind of started realizing that the fair play tiebreaker might be, might come into play. Right. I mean, like, basically it was to the point where 
we were kind of counting cards and figuring out whether or not the teams were going to have to draw lots. Basically, in, I wanted anything to happen that would have allowed Senegal to go into the next round. But all they needed was a goal. And of course, Japan's time wasting could have blown up in their face had Senegal scored. True. Um, I actually have a quote here from Akira Nishino, who, of course, is the Japanese manager who took over very late in their campaign, actually right before the World Cup. Here's his quote. Quote, we did not go. I mean, he said this in Japanese, obviously, but we did not go for victory. We just relied on the other match. It was slightly regrettable, but I suppose at that point I didn't have any other plans. I'm not really happy about how we played, but we wanted to go through to the round of 16. And we have. And that is the only salvation that I get. I mean, I guess you can't really disagree with that logic. The ends justifying the means there. It just doesn't make, I mean, I was reading some BBC commentators and they were just up in arms like it's a farce, it's a disgrace. You got to do what you got to do to advance, I guess. And I think he figured that that was the best way to just time waste and hope that Senegal didn't score. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, Uh, there's not really, I mean, at least he knows, I guess. (laughs) Is is there, so, you know, I was just out of curiosity, I did this on my own calculation because I, I, I heard people suggesting that perhaps a more just way of breaking a tie uh, as opposed to fair play is counting up corner kicks. Mm-hmm. Had that been the case, Senegal would have advanced 11 corner kicks to Japan's 10. But what do you think? I mean, if you're against the fair play rule as a tiebreaker, what's a more just way of separating teams? Of course, it goes in I mean, order. like I would, almost, it, I would almost prefer that it goes straight to drawing lots after... Uh, you think drawing lots is more fi- that's I mean like I would no I mean I would rather have the randomness of of drawing lots than having this weird moralizing argument against stuff that kind of just happens in the flow of the game. I mean like because I've you're penalizing already seen different stuff talking about I don't know placing the blame on say like Neong or whatever for having you know two wild yellow cards for raking across uh, somebody's face in the Japan game and then also like getting tangled up with Yeri Mina in the Colombia game and it's just kind of like I I don't know those things happen when you're challenging for a 50-50 or you know like so on and so forth if it was just red cards that's a different thing but I, I don't know it's just it doesn't seem I would rather have the randomness of drawing lots than to then the fair play rule is the fourth tiebreaker. I'll give you a quote from Aliou Cisse, of course, the Senegal manager. He said, quote, we knew these were the regulations, but we're fully committed. And since we are committed, maybe we get more yellow cards. It's a pity. I think my players were aware of the regulations, but as I said, Senegalese players are highly committed, so it's difficult to play well if you don't play with commitment. I don't know if this regulation is cruel or not, but I can't ask my players to go out on the pitch to avoid yellow cards. You have to be in contact with other players, and it's a shame it worked against us. Great quote. What a classy guy. Yeah. I mean, like, it's definitely, there's, Young definitely only has one speed. (laughs) Right. Um, But I I think that, yeah, I mean, like, I agree with that. And in the course of trying to win a game there are going to be rash challenges that happen. I mean... Yeah, yeah, and, and I don't know if it's Nyang's yellow cards that doom Senegal more than his suspect finishing. Because again, if they had scored a goal today, they would have gone through. Yeah, and I mean, like, in, in, in truth, though, I mean, like, it's not one player, it's not just that thing or whatever. I mean, <sighs> soccer just in general is, a, it just is honestly almost unexplainable. <laughs> Yeah, it's just it's difficult to penetrate that, and I mean, I, I I don't know, I I just feel like when you get down to the fourth tiebreaker, I don't know what a reasonable thing for that would be. I guess fair play 
makes sense. It just feels icky is, is all that I can say about it. Yeah, and, and now that we've seen the rule enacted here and essentially sending a team home, uh, I think going into tournaments now, teams are going to be hyper aware of all their yellow cards because we see a lot of cheapy yellow cards given for, I mean, again, you're leaving it up to kind of the discretion of the referee and yeah, how and I mean, stringent your referee is. But, you right. know, people get cheap red cards for taking off their shirt, for example, and things like that that are avoidable. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of, a big part of refereeing is just kind of like assessing the, I guess, the internal, like the intention of a player, which is just kind of like, how can you know that? But, yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, so in the awarding of yellow cards or whatever, I'm sure that there's just going to be some that are undeserved. Yeah. I guess two quick talking points from the um, Senegal-Columbia match. Uh, did you see the VAR incident? The Which VAR was, uh, incident in the... In the uh, it was like in the 20... Uh, oh, yeah, was, yeah, yeah. In the da- first da- half. Davison Sanchez uh, <laughs> put in like a really, a last-ditch tackle on Sadio Mane, like exactly. right inside the box. I saw some people calling that the tackle of the tournament. Which I, is, I don't know, maybe a bold statement, but it was a really good tackle. It was an extremely good tackle. And on top of that, like, when it happened, I was just like, I can't believe that's not given or whatever. But then, like, watching it in slow motion replay, you're like, oh, wow, that was I actually the, amazing. <laughs> I had the exact reaction you had, and I think this is, like, a testament to why VAR is good. Th- this exact call, because that was such a pivotal call in a third-round game that could send a team home. And they got it right because of the video assistant referee. Because like I like you, in real time, it looked like he got all leg. Okay, so one point in favor in like in technicality for <laughs> VAR, and then like a billion in? emotional points against. <laughs> the other thing I wanted to ask you about was after Mina scored, Columbia. I want you to grade their celly. It was like a line snake. Basically, the, all okay, the players so gathered. Okay, <laughs> so I've been meaning. I, I, I was hoping that you were going to ask me about this because— Of course that, I'm going to ask you about that. That wave like, was like hella well, herky-jerky. Yeah. I, I was, think like in theory it was a good idea, but they just were so half-hearted about it. I don't—they didn't really well, no, I mean like no, 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 no. They were way too energetic. It was just like too—the the movement was too aggressive, I guess. It was just kind of like— They I, were they, too they, hyped up on adrenaline and it couldn't make it smooth, I guess? Yeah, I don't know, but— I. Also, I'm just against locking hands and doing the wave thing. Like, it's, I don't know. That's, I can't have that. But, I mean, <laughs> I like, I liked it. I thought it was, I thought that Yeri Mina's own celebration was delightful. Like, yeah. I don't know what it was. I don't have He's words for it. He's a beast in it. the air. He's a beast. Oh, yeah. One other thing, I guess, Keita Balde from Monaco, of Monaco, started for Senegal. People were, I call him one of those football manager heroes because he's, <laughs> been kind of highly touted for years now. Did he make an, any impression on you? I mean, I don't know. Did he make any impression on you? I'd like that since you want to call him a football <laughs> manager hero. Well, it, you I mean like was, as in like kind of like the hipster pick? Yeah, like people have been kind of calling for him to play and he started. I mean, he was on the left side. He did a couple of nice things, but it's not like he delivered the final cutting edge that, I mean, obviously Senegal was shut out, so... Yeah. He has a nice haircut. (laughs) (laughs) Wonderful. (laughs) So Japan go through, can you, do you mind, do you indulge me in some broad ethnic stereotyping for a second? I'm, you know what, I I feel like you're just going to say it anyway, so I'm going to say it anyway. Yeah, so. So yesterday we saw Korea knock Germany out of the World Cup, but not advance to the knockout round. Korea huffing and puffing to only valiantly fail 
but then later be drowned in patronizing platitudes is the most Korean way for them to end their tournament. And now today we saw Japan. They lost, but they made it to the knockout round by virtue of being the more polite, less combative team. And that's the most Japanese way for them to move on. What say you? I don't have anything to add to that. <laughs> I, I, I would actually, I am going to actively not touch it. So okay, let's move on it. to the don't next thing. <laughs> all right, let's just talk about, we all were obsessing over, include, Roger Sherman, our colleague, wrote a very funny piece about this, this England-Belgium Group G match, because we thought in, that the fair play rules would be the one, would be enacted to separate these two these two teams at the top of Group G. Of course, the fair play rules weren't necessary because Belgium won 1-0 to win the group. So, Micah, you watched the game because I only had kind of one eye on it. What, were, what did you make of it? Was it the tank fest that people thought it was going to be? It wasn't quite the tank fest that people thought it was going to be, although starting Nasser Chadley and Adnan Yanazaj, like two <laughs> like out-and-out attacking wingers at wing back. <laughs> Isn't well. It's also not new since I mean, like Roberto Martinez was playing Carrasco at right wing back earlier. Right, right. Um, but also, it did seem like two teams that were actively trying to lose. Well, um, let's say Roberto Martinez before the match said, "We want to perform well, but the priority is not to win." He made nine changes. Southgate made eight changes up until today or this morning. We thought Harry Kane was going to start. He didn't. Jamie Vardy started. So it was basically reserve lineups. Was it fun to watch? I mean, did, did either team seem like they were actively trying to win? No. I mean, like, it wasn't really, it wasn't actually fun to watch. Uh, fun fun is, no, it wasn't fun to watch. Well, the there other part of the, the calculus that changed, though, we should say, is that with all this bracket turbation about which side of the bracket was more favorable to land on, uh, finishing first, Belgium now plays Japan, which is theoretically an easier opponent than Colombia, but they're now on the quote-unquote hard side of the bracket. And we, England, England finishing second is playing Colombia, which is theoretically the harder opponent in the round of 16, but they're in the easier side of the bracket with less of the heavyweights. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, the thing is, is that, yeah, okay, Belgium is going to end up playing Japan now that uh, they've won that game 1-0, but yeah, they have, would you, I mean, like, would you rather be on the the side of the bra- the side of the bracket that has uh, Portugal, France, Argentina, Brazil, Mexico, even though those teams haven't really been dazzling so far this tournament, or would you rather be on the side of the bracket that has? Are, are we bracket debating right now? Yeah, we're going to bracket debate just a little bit, just because there was an interesting infographic from Twenty First Club about how, according to their model. Uh, England are more likely to reach the quarterfinals if they win the group, but more likely to win the World Cup if they came in second. I can see why that is, because Japan's easier than Colombia, but they wouldn't have to face Brazil or France or Argentina or Portugal, Uruguay, etc. Yeah, but I mean, like, to answer your early question about whether or not the game was fun to watch, it was fun for exactly, like, four minutes and I guess leading into that Adnan Yanazaj goal, which was a worldie, by oh, not the way. The fir- not, not the first four minutes, but when <laughs> when Yanazaj scored yeah. around there. Yeah, okay. yeah. I mean, like he— Descri- Describe the shot. So he kind of cut in on—he cut in on his left and got Danny Rose with, like, this kind of half-roll feint, which, I mean, like, you could definitely— if you were looking to be cynical about it, you could— 
kind of give, uh, you know, put some knocks against Danny Rose for lax defending. But the finish was gorgeous. Like, just curled it into the the top left corner past Pickford. Pickford probably could have got a hand to it. So, I mean, there are all kinds of things that you could say about bringing back to United from Spain. I would... No, I don't know if I'd necessarily do that, but I'm glad that he scored. It was gorgeous. I definitely wouldn't have said that in 2018, Adnan Yanazaj would be scoring like an amazing goal. That might have been something that I would have said, I guess, four or five years ago, but not this year. <laughs> Although he has been actually pretty good in Spain this uh, in his in his uh, club season this year. You just mentioned Danny Rose, and I said earlier that England made eight changes. Did anybody on the England side stand out and kind of force his way into Gareth's 11, possibly for the knockout round? I mean, like, if you want to count Marcus Rashford scooting chances wide, like, I mean, if he's if he was doing that intentionally, then it was amazing, just because he was in on goal, like, say, in the, I think it was in the 65th minute, and... I mean, like, clear-cut chance, nothing but green acres all around him, and I guess the keeper was on rushing, but just put it pa- just put it past the far post, and it was like, I mean, you would have... I would have bet every penny I had ever earned that he was going to finish that if it was, like, any other... if it was at any other time or under different circumstances, but he put it wide at the post, and if he did that on purpose, then that's also amazing, and maybe so he are you deserves saying, Are start. you saying that that's a, that's a classic... Rashford type of miss or that he usually buries those because it's funny we were talking about Sterling like Sterling has a classic kind of miss which is basically a sweet team move where he's like you know a couple yards away and shanks it somehow yeah I mean well the difference between a Rashford miss and a Sterling miss is the criticism that arrives afterward very true um but yeah the Rashford I mean like I don't know that I don't know that anybody definitely kind of put their stamp on the game, so to speak. Can you analyze Danny Welbeck's performance? No, I can't. All I know <laughs> is that like I, that was the clearest sign of like needing a goal and bringing on Danny Welbeck is probably the clearest sign that you're not trying to win a game. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll be back in a minute and talk about tournament news and also take a look ahead to the round of 16. Okay, now, as you know, recently, Isom was eliminated from a certain soccer tournament. This is sad news for many fans. But, Rake Icelandic Vodka would like to remind you of the many good things Icelanders still have. Like Viking Spirit, Adorable Puffins, Awesome Waterfall, a country that Cosmopolitan recently named the most Instagram-friendly nation on Earth. And of course, you still have Rake Vodka. It's made from Arctic spring water, then filtered through lava rocks for exceptional purity. The distillery is even powered by geothermal energy from volcanoes. How many other countries can say that? So, chin up, Iceland fans. You still got a lot going for you. Visit reykavodka.com for great cocktail recipes. We'll see you at the Euros. Real fans drink responsibly. Reykavodka, 40% alcohol by volume. That's 80 proof. Distilled from grain. Copyright 2018 William and Grant Sons, New York, New York. All right, group stage is over, as we said. Let's do a quick golden boot watch. Harry Kane only... Did Harry Kane actually come on today? Sorry, I was half watching the game. No, I mean, like, he was warming up. Right. The last I saw, he was warming up when we were all, like, Kane about to come on, but... Kane just can't leave the golden boot race alone. He has to come on, but it ended up being well back. Well, he's still atop the leaderboard, five goals, of which two were penalties, two were offset pieces, and one was, like, 
I don't know how to even describe. He didn't even know is. about that <laughs> one. Let's not even count it. That 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 goal belongs to Ruben Loftus Cheek. <laughs> <laughs> Second place, Lukaku and Cristiano Ronaldo tied with four, and then Denis Cherisev and Diego Costa with three. Of course, way atop the leaderboard is own goal. There are nine own goals. Where Amazing. on the leaderboard is VAR? <laughs> VR, VAR is out here. Oh, I should mention, there was an own goal in the Panama-Tunisia game that nobody except Panamanians and Tunisians watched. But the two goals that Tunisia scored, I didn't watch the game either. I just saw them on Twitter. Very nice team goals. Good for Tunisia. The second one especially, uh, the Kosri yeah. goal. Uh, yeah, yeah. You got the tap in at the back post. But it was a really nice team move coming from the left and then slotting across the face of goal. Yep. Um, and they completed a really good comeback win, actually. Uh, I was kind of watching, half watching that game and half watching the England-Belgium game. I mean, if Harry Kane doesn't score in stoppage time in that first game, who knows? Hmm. Who knows? This England-Belgium match might have been for, you know, all the marbles. Or some of the marbles, at least. It could be England could have been eliminated. Anyway, let's move on to reality. Uh, okay, just some quick hits here. Um, Sardar Azmoun of Iran just quit the national team via Instagram because of abuse. Zero goals he scored in the World Cup. He plays club-wise for Ruby and Kazan. He's only Ruben Kazan. He's only 23. Also, I read Willy Caballero, uh, of course, the Argent- Argentina keeper who made that howler uh, against Croatia. He said he's received threats to his family. And I've seen Mesut Ozil is being targeted by political trolls in Germany after Germany got knocked out. What is it with people just targeting the... I mean, it just shows you we were talking about Neymar's tears the other day. And there's a lot of pressure on these guys, right? Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, that that's basically the idea. I mean, like, the all all the jokes that we made about Willie Caballero aside, like, that was, you know, you have to genuinely be worried about what fans in the home country might do. Or, yeah, because it, it's tied in with that nationalistic fervor, which is a dangerous cocktail, I think. Yeah, it's a double-edged sword. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay, so Marcelo, who left the Brazil match uh, against Serbia, apparently his back injury, according to the Brazilian doctor, is possibly due to his mattress being too soft. What? Let me read the quote from the doctor. <laughs> Excuse me? Uh, Marcelo has a medical history with this kind of injury. He's speaking of a back injury or injury to his back. And quote, maybe it was the hotel's mattress, which was a bit more soft than usual. The injury happened because he made a rotation movement and felt uncomfortable. He could not continue in the game because his muscles became locked up. And, of course, Felipe Luis of Atletico Madrid came on and replaced him. And everybody was kind of, everybody's kind of nervous and anxious because Marcelo is such a big part of Brazil's attack. But, Mike, have you ever had a back injury because of a soft mattress? Uh, I've had back injuries due to other things, but the soft mattress (laughs) is not one of them. I mean, like... Yeah, what kind I mean, of mattress I, do you think he was sleeping on? Was it just uh, purely memory foam? Was there like nothing there like stopping him from sinking to the floor? I mean, these Russian luxury hotels, I'm guessing the mattresses are pretty nice. Uh, it's always been kind of curious to me because I've always been told that a hard mattress or even sleeping on the floor is the best thing for your back. So maybe the, he should have slept on the floor. Anyway, he chimed in on Instagram, Marcelo did, saying, thank you for your messages. Thankfully, it was nothing serious, and I'll be back in no time. Very happy with the win. So we could see him against Mexico. Maybe he'll sleep on the floor until then. Yeah, um, you know, like seems like a good, <laughs> the best course of action for Marcelo's back. <laughs> Biggest news of the day, 
And big news for Micah. I can't believe that Wayne Rooney is going to DC United and that they announced it in the middle of a World Cup game. <laughs> I can't believe their stupid fucking hashtag. No Wayne, no gain. Oh my <laughs> God, get out of here. All right, so Rooney is 32. He signed a 3.5-year deal, apparently. Now we have to count it in U.S. dollars, 13.1 million. I guess that's total uh, for the 3.5 years. He said, moving to America and MLS fulfills another career ambition for me. I have to chuckle at that. I have the hunger to be a success here and will give DC 100%, as I've always done for every team I've ever played for. DC United, of course, they're entering or they're opening a new field on July 14th, Audi Field. Wayne Rooney, second highest ever PL score, one of Micah's childhood heroes. How do you feel about this, Micah? Are you a DC United fan now? Uh... I mean, like, I don't know. I'm I'm looking forward to him playing in, like, D.C. humidity. <laughs> um, I don't know that I'm necessarily... You see him at Ben's Chili Bowl? <laughs> I, wonder what, I wonder <laughs> what Wayne Rooney they think they're getting. I mean, Rooney didn't... Uh, to be fair, he wasn't awful. I mean, I don't have his stats in front of me last year for Everton. He did. He definitely scored a bag of goals. And, you know... No, I mean, slow. like, for a while there, at the beginning of the PL season, he was, like, he was basically Everton's only out-and-out attacking option because uh, uh, Dominic Calvert-Lewin hadn't really come into... I don't know if he ever really did either. Um, <laughs> yeah. But also, it was just kind of like... And not they coincidentally, loose, Everton were trash. Yeah, they just <laughs> kind of had that loose amalgamation of, like, number 10s up top, and they were s- struggling to score, and he was coming up with it, I guess. It seems to me that Rooney kind of has the type of game that can flourish in MLS because he's just got that football intelligence. And if you kind of put him in the center of the pitch and he doesn't have to run too much, he can do some perloing, I guess. Perloing? Perloing? Oh, you mean like standing on the post as as a header is <laughs> just whizzes past him on a corner? Yeah. I mean, like, I don't know. I, there's there's almost no use in speculating about it. I guess we'll see when he finally pulls on a D.C. United jersey. True indeed. And then finally, the most important news for me, I read today reports out of Turkey that Jack Wilshere is going to sign for Fenerbahce. What do you think? How do you, what do you think about that? How do you feel about your only son going to Turkey? <laughs> I guess I'm going to have to buy a Fenerbahce shirt. You already did, didn't you? Like, it's, it's in the mail already. It's on my wish list. Is it long sleeve or is it short sleeve? <laughs> short sleeve. Mm, okay. All right, let's get back to the tournament. Round of 16. As the cliche goes, the tournament starts now. Matches on Saturday, Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday. They were so kind to not have matches on July 4th, Micah. They really were. That's Thank you, <laughs> FIFA. So I'll go over them real quick. First of all, of the 16 teams remaining, 10 from Europe, 4 from South America, one from North America, of course, that's Mexico, not the United States. And one from Asia, Japan. Saturday, we have France and Argentina. Probably the first match of the round of 16 is the one people are anticipating the most. It's France and Argentina, followed by Uruguay, Portugal. Sunday, Spain, Russia, followed by Croatia versus Denmark. Monday is a biggie, Brazil versus Mexico, followed by Belgium versus Japan. And Tuesday, Sweden versus Switzerland. And the English press are going to have to wait to the very end of the round to watch Colombia versus England. Let's start with France versus Argentina. I know we talked about it yesterday and the day before. We were always talking about this match has the biggest stars. Here's one thing to think about. There's only been three days of, there's only will have been three days of rest for these teams before this match. Remember that France played Denmark and basically never got out of first gear. And Argentina had literally a dude bleeding all over the place. (laughs) <laughs> and guys running their socks off yeah. uh, to get into the round of 16. That has to favor 
France, right? I mean, I, I mean, like you, everything seems to favor France, um, but also it just I, it really feels like one of those games is going to be tough to, it's tough to call because France has had one of the best defenses in the tournament thus far, and we've also not seen, I think, what their what their third and fourth gear look like, right? And but then on the other side. I mean, Argentina has the best soccer player possibly in all of history. <laughs> so you mean, you mean Portugal does or Argentina does? Listen, anyway, we're not going to do let, that right now. Let's move on. You <laughs> have you have the Brian, you have the bracket in front of you, right? Yeah, I do. Okay, so let me ask you. When we just talked about France versus Argentina, you can pick them. But what what's the what's the can't miss game and what's the can miss game? What match do you think is going to be the most exciting and what match do you think is going to be the most boring? And then also pick an upset. That's a lot of questions, but... Uh, right. I'll go first. Okay, you go first. Brazil-Mexico, to me, is the must-watch. Because I think I agree with... Maybe it was Ryan. It might have been you that said France-Argentina is going to end, inevitably end up a slog fest because we're anticipating it so much. I think we all kind of settled on that, yeah. Yeah. I think Brazil-Mexico is... I'm really curious to see uh, how that attacking trident from Mexico fares against Brazil and their marauding fullbacks. Of course, Neymar's always must-see TV. Um, they're two traditional soccer powerhouses with two fervent fan bases. I think the atmosphere on the ground is going to be amazing. Uh, of course, we're not, I'm not going to be there, but it'll be amazing to watch on TV. Uh, and now, you know, Also Mexico- going to be interesting to see how Mexico, like, bounces back from getting beat 3-0 at the, at the end of the group stage. Right. Excellent point. And also, I'm, like, half Mexican now because... Of Korea beating Germany, <laughs> yeah, you know, is that that's that's your that is your team that you are getting behind for the rest of the tournament. Yeah, n- n- no landy cakes, but my other team is Mexico. <laughs> All right, Michael, what's what's your must watch? Okay, I am going to say that my must watch is Colombia England. Good choice. Um, that's also a must watch for me. But why? Yeah, just because I feel like England hasn't really been tested so far this tournament. That would have been Belgium. That would have been the Belgium game had they had anything to actually play for besides the the one two, um, the one two placing of the group, right? Uh, and on top of that, Colombia has been has looked more than just ominous uh, so far this tournament. And um, so I mean, like, really, I'm excited about it because it's going to be England's first real test, and also because I love watching Colombia play. <laughs> yeah, hopefully, James is healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe you should share a little bit about your adult son, Jesse Lingard, because the Lingard factor has kind of really been major here for England. Oh, you mean like as in the fact that he, you know, offers a lot on the turn and kind of like does a good job of wreaking havoc in that space in between, like right behind the striker and in between the uh, the number 10? I mean, so, exactly that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like it's going to be, it's going to be interesting to see I don't know. Like it's there's I I'm what I'm excited about is him scoring another like curler from about 25 yards out and doing some different kind of weird goal celebration. I mean, like that's what I'm oh, looking yeah, for every time the, that Jesse plays. <laughs> he had like the Guardian explaining. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah, he had the he had. I'm looking forward to the Guardian's explainer on his next celebration. Yeah, I mean, like because. Seeing instructions on like written out about how to do uh, the shoot dance was honestly a highlight of the week. <laughs> Jesse Lingard is straight up like the gateway 
drug <laughs> of urban dancing to <laughs> English people. Oh, man. Uh, All right, so my must not watch, even though I'm going to watch it anyway, is probably Croatia, Denmark, even though I really like Croatia. I just read a quote from the Denmark manager promising a more open attacking style of football in the knockout stages. I said, I don't believe you. You need more people, you know? Um, I think Croatia is going to win comfortably, and I think Denmark, who I— wish were eliminated in the group stage will be eliminated in the first knockout round. And so and your 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 missable game is Croatia, Denmark, and not Sweden, Switzerland? Uh, you know, Switzerland traditionally have played a lot of boring knockout games. Um, so I would have chosen them, but, you know, Granit Xhaka, Jordan Shakiri, those two guys alone are capable of doing exciting things. I mean, you know, when they're interested in demonstrating their ability to focus and apply themselves from minute to minute. <laughs> You're right. Sweden, Switzerland does have one nil written all over it. Mm-hmm. Uh, not that one nil means it's going to be boring, but a boring one nil. Is that your must not watch or skippable game? I think game? that's going to be my skippable game. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to go on the record with my upset here. Host nation, baby. Putin, Russia over Spain. Actually, I was going to say that Russia over Spain would be like my would be like my probable upset just because Spain has been, Spain is still Spain, but they've also got that their possession heavy style of playing, like without the, the requisite pace to break open a defense that, you know, like after, I don't know, like a, some wasteful mistake in the final third or whatever, without having that pace to like really hit teams on the break. I think is just kind of going to leave itself open to something chaotic to happen. I don't know exactly what it is. And also on top of that, I mean, just the fact that Russia is, we can't, I don't think (laughs) we can properly rate them just because they've scored, they've scored the most goals, I think so far, right? Out of any team. Yep. But they don't. Actually England have, right? Oh yeah, that's true. England. Uh, because I keep forgetting. I know, I think the, it's a tie between the, the two of them. Anyway, because you picked that as your upset, I think Spain going to obliterate Russia. Never mind. Japan, <laughs> Japan, baby. Japan over Belgium. You think Japan over Belgium? I don't know. I, for some reason, I don't trust Roberto Martinez still. Um, Could it be J- the fact that he's all out attack and zero defense? I mean, like he's just playing D'Antoni ball. Yeah, here's the thing. You mentioned Carrasco and Mounier are the wingbacks. I mean, it's not like Japan have necessarily the most threatening of attacks. I also think the soccer gods usually look poorly upon people or teams that try to, like, sneak their way through like Japan did, Mm -hmm. if you believe in the soccer gods. Uh, But I just think it would be hilarious with with all of this talk about odds and favorable size of the draws and favorable knockout opponents if Japan beat Belgium and basically rendered all of that moot all of those predictions and all of that odds making. Do they have a chance? What, Japan? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, again, but like the thing with uh, the thing with the Belgian team is the same thing with the England team. It's just that like, I don't, they haven't really been tested yet. So, I mean, who knows what could happen what? if they... Okay, so both Belgium and England play with three in the back. What, would you, what do you think is weaker or more of a concern? Belgium's wingbacks, Carrasco and Mounier, starting wingbacks, mm-hmm. or England's three center backs, John Stones, Kyle Walker, Harry Maguire. Uh, honestly, I I think that 
I really don't know. It's like it's it's two sides of the same point. I mean, like you have you don't have uh Volson Company in central defense. You have Dijic Boyata and then with two wingers, like out and out wingers, not like wing backs or anybody that's at least all of England's back line has played in the back, like for the majority of their careers. Right. I wonder if Japan has what it takes to exploit those empty channels behind Belgium's winbacks. Somehow I doubt it. I don't think they're a very quick team, but we shall see. I got to give one final update. Um, yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> as you guys might have been following on our videos and on Instagram, Ryan predicted that Germany would be, not be knocked out at the group stage. I told him when he made that prediction, this is before the World Cup, obviously, that I would eat a cleat mm. if that were to happen. And of course, yesterday it happened. How would you we, like your cleat prepared? Well, so we, David Chang actually chimed in and said he had a recipe for it. We're still figuring out exactly how this is going to work out, but I want everyone to stay tuned to Ringer's socials and you'll see something. Believe me, I'm not running away from this bet. I'm going to fulfill my end of it. Props to Ryan. And shout out to you. I'm I'm happy for you and also sad for you. Michael, will you eat a cleat if Japan beat Belgium? No. I would like I, the thing is that the difference you between it, you, you is it, that I don't a, gamble with stuff like that. Will you eat a cleat of Japan win the World Cup? Will I eat a no? I'm not going to eat a cleat at any point in time for any reason at all. <laughs> what a coward! And that wraps up this edition of Ringer FC. We are not on the air tomorrow. No games, unfortunately. Sad. What are we going to do without games? Fuck. Uh, we, will be, we will be back on Monday. And go daily again to talk about the weekend's action. Also, Brazil, Mexico, Belgium, Japan on Monday. And preview Sweden, Switzerland, and Colombia, England. See you then. Peace, Micah. Peace, peace. Peace.